Well, this morning we're going to focus on giving thanks, and so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, and let's stand as we open God's Word together. Colossians chapter 3, and let's look at verses 12 through 17, and then we'll see a few more verses in the surrounding context in just a moment. Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, beginning in verse 12, said, Therefore God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of the Messiah, the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. And then two words in the next sentence here. Be thankful. Can we say that together this morning? Be thankful. Anybody need to say it again just for the sake of your children and grandchildren, right? Be thankful. And then he goes on to say, let the message of Christ, the message about Messiah, dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. When he wrote to the church at Ephesus, he told them this would be a part of the the Spirit-filled life. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then as a result of that, you'll be speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, giving thanks, here he says, with gratitude in your hearts. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. There it is again, a third time in this text. Give th- be thankful, show gratitude, giving thanks to God the Father Through him, meaning Jesus. Father, we do want to give thanks this morning. Father, we want it to be more than words. We want it to be demonstrated with our life. I pray that you would not only instruct us how to do so, but empower us how to do so this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Back in the early 1990s, one of my favorite movies was a movie called Groundhog Day. Uh, in the movie Groundhog Day, some of you are laughing already. You, you've seen it. You know uh, Bill Murray on February 2nd repeats the same day again and again and again. He's kind of a self-absorbed <laughs> weatherman who is uh, stuck in uh, Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, and, and it's on Groundhog Day, and he's kind of going through the motions, doing his thing, not real happy with life, and he wakes up only to repeat the same day again and again and again, and even as he begins to realize that it seems like his life has no consequences to what he had done that day because he gets a do-over, he gets a mulligan every single morning. When he wakes up, he does the same thing. So he immediately gives in to some of his hedonistic cravings and, and his own sinful passions and sinful desires, even trying to woo a young lady that he is preying upon, P-R-E-Y-I-N-G. He is uh, seeking after her and, and, and it just eating what he wants to eat, drinking what he wants to drink, life with no consequences. And then he realizes that he's kind of stuck in this routine. Life is miserable. Instead of doing evil, he starts trying to 
do good. He try, starts trying to be good, whether he's trying to help the people around him. Uh, he, he, of course, has had time to live this day again and again and again, so he's trying to make himself better. And there's one particular scene where there's evidently he has figured out that because of the news or whatever that a kid had fallen out of a tree. So every day he's at the same spot again and again and again. And so when this kid falls out of the tree, he catches him, saves his life right right there. He puts the kid down and the kid runs off. And, and you see Bill Murray saying these words while he's trying so hard to do good and be good and do the right thing. He says, you've never thanked me. You never once said thank you. I've been here for you in, in his world, in his realm at the time. It was every single day reliving that again and again and again. He's falling. I catch him, and he runs off and doesn't even say thanks. It, ironically, he sees in himself, he, he sees in his own life, that's the way he's lived, all about himself. No pause to thank the people around him, and certainly in the movie there's no reflection of giving God thanks for what God has done. You see, in our lives, so many times we're ungrateful. Day after day after day, we fall and fall again and fall again, and Jesus Christ is there in his grace to catch us again and again and again. And how often do we stop and pause and just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. I don't know how many days it's, it's in my prayer almost every day, and I say, Lord, don't let this short prayer become cliché. But I say, God, forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to do what you've called me to do. I pray that again and again and again. And he does so day in and day out. And I say, Lord, don't let that become cliche. And one way that keeps from becoming mere words is when it's demonstrated by actions. So as we talk about giving thanks this morning, as we look at the actions the demonstration of giving thanks, the demonstration of gratitude in, in Colossians chapter 3, we certainly see something that is much, much more than words, much more than words. And I pray that this Thanksgiving season and the rest of your life, every day of your life, that your giving thanks would be more than words, that our lives would demonstrate this. Now, Paul's writing to the church at Colossae. He gives them this great um, theological treatise on who Jesus is, and he explains what Christ has done for us. Much of it is, is wrapped up in the hymn that is incorporated into chapter 1. And so if you want to look back and see what becomes foundational for the rest of what Paul is teaching in this book, look back in chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. Speaking of who Jesus is, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, because by him everything was created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things are held together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place, preeminence in everything for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. It goes on to say in verse 21, and you once were alienated and hostile in mind because of your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his, 
physical body through his death so present to present you holy faultless and blameless before him all that jesus is and all that he has done lays the foundation for what he says in the passage that we're looking at so these actions that we are called to and paul often does that in his letters he starts with orthodoxy he starts with belief right thinking right belief and it moves into right practice. If we believe right, we will practice right. We, if we value and believe the right things, we will live in the right way. And so he, he says if we're believing these things, then it should be demonstrated by our lives. And, and the gratitude here becomes a motivation that permeates this passage. Gratitude for all that has been laid as a foundation in this letter, all that Jesus is and all that he has done. If our life demonstrates anything, If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it should demonstrate that we are grateful for who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. Gratitude. First of all, this morning, I want you to see that gratitude is seen in the way that we extend grace in our relationships. The way that we extend grace. Remember I said this is based on what he has written up until this point. So in verse 12, he says, Therefore, because of all of these things... As God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. This is a gracious spirit. This is the fruit of the spirit. In Ephesians 5, we said these things happen because we're walking in the spirit. We're being filled with the spirit of God. And what that gives us is an extension of grace in our relationships. That grace that is flowing into us is flowing through us, and we extend it in those, to those around us. And in verse 13, this gracious spirit says that it's, we're, one, we're accepting one another, and we're forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint, anybody got anything to complain about? Anybody got anybody to complain about this morning? He says, if you have a complaint against one another, we're to be forgiving one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must, out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for you, out of what Jesus has demonstrated to you, out of gratitude for that, you're so thankful for what Jesus has done for you that you extend that same grace to those who are around you, those that you live life with, those that, whose path crosses your path, but those who you see on a daily basis. It is a gracious spirit that is patient and forgiving that models gratitude. So many times when I do premarital counseling, we look at, and I'll often share this verse at the wedding itself, but we look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. It says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiven one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And so I'll tell that young man, I'll tell that young lady, I'll say, you will never have to forgive one another for more, in a way that will cost you more than what it cost Jesus Christ when he forgave you. All hell was poured out on him on the cross so that he could forgive you, and you will never have to sacrifice to the extent he sacrificed in order to forgive someone else. And he says, in the same way that God has forgiven you, you are to forgive others. There's a parable in Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the ungrateful servant, the one, if we speak in modern monetary terms, there was a servant who 
owed a ruler $10 million. And he obviously couldn't pay it, and, and, and on the common salary, he would never live to be able to pay that debt. And he goes, when he's about to be thrown into prison because he can't pay the debt, and he begins to plead his case, and he says, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And finally, the ruler says, okay, I'm going to have mercy on you. And this man who had a debt of $10 million, who was forgiven that debt, went out immediately, and he found a man who owed him about $20,000. And he said, you need to pay up. And the one who owed him $20,000 could not pay up immediately. And so he had him thrown into prison. And the ruler found out about this and came and had the one that he had forgiven the debt thrown into prison as well. Jesus explains, you've been forgiven so much, and you're asked to forgive so little. If you're grateful for the forgiveness God has given you, you're going to extend that same grace in the lives of others. This gratitude generates a love that shows more gratitude. Look at verse 14. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. When when I become grateful for what God has done in my life, he empowers me to love others. As I begin to love others, I become more grateful for what God's doing in my life. Gratitude causes you to love more. Loving more gives you more to be grateful for, and it just kind of grows from there. And when we stop that process, we interrupt God's work of love and unity in our lives, in the body of Christ, and in our families, and so many other venues. This, this gratitude leads us to a place of, a, of kind of an unagitated, graceful spirit. What do I mean, unagitated? The, the word peace in Scripture uh, speaks of being in, in a place of not being agitated. He says, and let the peace, verse 15, let the peace of Messiah the absence of being agitated and anxious. Let the peace of Messiah to which you were called in one body control your hearts. And so now because you are grateful for what Jesus Christ has done for you and you're able to extend that grace and show love because he has received you, you're able to love and receive others that begins to give you a peace that passes all understanding, and that gratitude removes that aggravation and agitation from your life, makes you a stronger witness for his glory. In other words, a grateful person, a grateful husband, a grateful wife, a grateful child, a grateful parent, a grateful friend, a grateful co-worker, somebody who is grateful for what Jesus Christ has extended to us in their grace. We're the kind of people who brings peace into relationships. We don't cause the people around us to walk on eggshells because they're nervous that they might set us off. Because we're grateful and we have peace, we set those around us at ease. So many times, trivial things rob us of that peace. Rob us of that joy. Why? Because we're so ungrateful. Now, all it takes, and I'm just confessing my own sin, sometimes all it takes is the traffic for me. All it takes is somebody driving slow in the fast lane. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And we lose our joy over trivial things. 
And what are we communicating to the world that we're living for when we lose our joy over trivial things like traffic, like sports? God forbid the dogs lose on a Saturday because then you got to work a little bit harder to get people to church and excited on Sunday. Trivial things. But you don't understand, he called a strike on my son. And I know that was a ball. And I'm going to let it rob my joy in front of everybody in the stands. And I'm going to express my anger because this is such a big deal in life. Probably scarred my kid forever. Trivial things. We have no gratitude for those noble things of life. Fast food. I can't believe that restaurant was understaffed when I showed up. Rather than pray for the person behind the register and say, God loves you, you hang in there. Trying to encourage them. They see Christians lose their joy over trivial things that do not matter at all for eternity. But that teacher was unfair to me. That coach played politics. The neighbor's dog marked up my tires and left the present in the yard. And I have lost my joy over trivial things. I am agitated, I have no peace, and I have no love for the people around me. Ungrateful hearts that we all struggle with. Now, there are serious concerns. But if we can't depend on the grace of God to be extended in us and through us in the trivial, then what are we going to do with the more serious issues of life? Like when when there are false accusations made about us at work. When we're fired or maybe just cussed out by the person who has authority over us. When somebody else's neglect has cost us something physically or emotionally. How are we going to extend grace in those big areas if we can't extend grace in the little areas? When we've been discriminated against, betrayed by a friend, and abandoned by family, if we can't extend grace in those times, how do we extend grace in the big areas of life. What has Jesus done for you? What has Jesus done for you? Did he say, you know, all hell is about to be poured out upon you, so Father, just pour all hell on them. Did Jesus give us all of hell when that was what we deserve? Then why is that what sometimes we think we're supposed to give somebody else? Why is that what we want to extend to somebody else? When God has extended his grace toward us out of gratitude of being recipients of his grace, we need to extend that grace to those around us. What has Jesus done for you? We forgive. Say, Pastor, I forgave him. Often we forgive only if we can get even. We're like that that little Korean boy who was serving the American soldiers during the Korean War, and the soldiers were being so rude to him. And they were picking on him the whole time. And they would do things like tie his shoestrings together. And finally, the chaplain confronted these soldiers and said, you need, to, you need to leave that little boy alone. He's here serving you. So they went to him and said, son, you know, the chaplain's kind of gotten on to us. And, well, we're sorry. Will you forgive the way? We're going to treat you better. Will you forgive us? We're not going to tease you anymore. We're not going to mess with you anymore. We're no more practical jokes. We're sorry. Will you forgive us? And the boy said, absolutely, I forgive you. No problem at all. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to quit spitting in your soup before I bring it to you from now on. See, often it's easy to forgive if we know we've gotten even, right? 
I can forgive, but I'm going to get even. Some of us are like, I don't get mad, I don't get even. I get ahead, so leave me alone. Do we forgive as Christ has forgiven? Do we extend grace as he's extended grace? Gratitude causes us to do that. Secondly, this morning, I want you to see that gratitude is seen in the way we express the gospel of Jesus from the overflow of our lives. One verse here, verse 16, but it's a powerful verse. And he says, let the message about Christ, the message of the gospel, dwell richly among you. Some translations say dwell in you richly. I believe it is both. I believe it's to dwell in you and flow from you and dwell among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so this gratitude is seen in the way that we express the gospel of Jesus Christ out of an overflow of what he's doing in our lives. We're so saturated with the Word of God, so saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and out of gratitude, we want to know more of the story. Remember, at this time, the New Testament was not completed, but they were receiving the Word of Messiah, the message of the death, burial, resurrection, even the life that Jesus Christ had lived among his disciples who became apostles. And as they're receiving this Word, he says, soak it all up. Soak it up like a sponge so that when life squeezes that grateful heart of yours for soaking it all up, that Jesus just comes out of your life as an overflow. Be ready with words of wisdom, he says, teaching and admonishing one another. We want to encourage and admonish and teach our families and the body of Christ, other believers. We want to help them to understand, as Paul said in Ephesians 3.8, this grace was given me that I might preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I, I want to know it. I, I want it in my heart, and I want it out of the overflow, out of gratitude for what Jesus is doing in me. I want to teach others about it. I want to explain to them how they can get in on what he's allowed me to be a part of. Gratitude motivates that. Dr. Paige Patterson said the reason that most Christians don't witness and share their faith is simply because they're ungrateful. If they were thankful for what Jesus did for them, they would share it with someone else. Someone has once said that that witnessing is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And so when Jesus has been good to us and we understand the unsearchable riches of Christ, then we want to share that. We want to teach that to other believers and we want to make that news known to the laws. 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify, set Jesus Christ apart as Lord, as first place in your life. And then he says, and then be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Tell others around you, here's what I'm grateful for. Here's what I'm so excited about. And it becomes a a witness out of the overflow. And it's seen not only in our witnessing, it's seen in our, our worshiping, as he says, as we're doing this with psalms and hymns and in spiritual songs. There again, the reason some people will not worship Not only will they not gather corporately and not have a daily quiet time when they are gathered with other believers, they are like, man, and I realize this is a challenge for Jeff and others who lead worship is to try to lead and encourage without manipulating, but how do you motivate and encourage people to worship if we all had grateful hearts for what Jesus had done in us and is doing through us and has done for us, if we were grateful for who he is in and of himself, then we would be overflowing with hearts of worship and celebration and thanksgiving. It would be seen in our lives on a regular basis. But we don't worship, we don't witness because we're not grateful for what he's done for us and in us and what he wants to do 
through us. It affects us in every area. And yet we let things not only rob us of our joy, we let things rob us of our witness, we let things rob us of our worship. Years ago, I heard the story of a young pastor who was like a ball of fire. He was ready to turn the world upside down. His first church was a small country church out in the middle of nowhere. And and sure enough, this one church was going to cause him to not want to continue on in the ministry. And he went to his mentor, and he said, you don't understand I'm not the pastor of that church. He said, there's a little old lady in that church, and she runs everything. And I can't do anything. I can't lead. I can't make a decision. We can't spend money. We can't do anything. He said, she's on every committee. She's on finance, and she's on personnel, and she's on nominating, and she just runs that church. And he says, I've gone to her, and he told his mentor, I've tried to talk to her. And when I try to talk to her and say, look, You know, we need to see what the Lord wants us to do. She always replies by saying, well, preacher, I was here before you got here. And preacher, I'll be here long after you've gone. I've seen other preachers come and go. And this young preacher just told his mentor, he said, so I I give up. I can't do anything. I, I can't accomplish anything. And he said, well, it sounds to me like you're the one with the attitude problem. He's like, what? It sounds to me like you're the one with the attitude problem. He says, are you giving God thanks for the opportunity? Thanks? Do you understand the situation, my man? He, and his mentor gave him this advice, and it probably kept him in the ministry. He said, every morning when you wake up, you need to have a quiet time. And you need to first and foremost give God thanks for your salvation. Are you saved? Oh, yes, sir. Then you need to begin every day by saying, God, thank you for saving me. He says, but there's a couple other things. You need to thank God for these three things every day. He said, secondly, you need to say, God, thank you for calling me into the ministry. Okay, I'll I'll do that. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for calling in in the ministry. What's the third thing that I need to be thankful for? He said, every day, thank God for saving you. Thank him for calling you into the ministry. And every day of your life, you thank God that you didn't marry that woman. Changed his attitude completely. He realized how much he had to be grateful for every time he said thanks for those three things. When we begin to thank God even for unanswered prayers in our life, we have so much, so much to be thankful for. And finally this morning, once you see gratitude is seen in the way that we embrace our daily responsibilities with enthusiasm. How do we embrace those daily responsibilities that God has given us and embrace those with enthusiasm? And he says, Verse 17, and whatever you do. It doesn't sound like he leaves any exceptions, does it? No exemptions here. Whatever you do means whatever you do. In word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do everything, everything that you do. You're doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus, and you're giving thanks to the Father, through Him. Your family, your friends, your church family, your community, nobody will ever give you enough pats on the back to keep you doing what you're doing. But if you're grateful for what God has done for you, then you're going to do everything that you do with enthusiasm for Him. Now, nothing strengthens your impact in this world like passion motivated by gratitude. 
When you serve the Lord with gladness, as Psalm 100 says, coming before his presence with thanksgiving, when you serve him with that kind of joy, that makes you a Christian who can impact this world for Christ. It is contagious and it is courageous when we serve the Lord with gladness, whatever you do. He applies this in verses 18 through 22. You can read this, but he applies this in the home as he talks about the husband's relationship with the wife, as he talks about the children. Then he applies it into the workplace as he talks about servants and their masters. So when you talk about your job description in your home, when you talk about your job description in the workplace, when you talk about your responsibility as a student, your responsibility as a servant in God's house among God's people, Everything you do, every role that God has assigned you to, when you do that out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for you and you're serving the Lord, I like the way he puts it in verse 23. He says, whatever you do, do it enthusiastically. Or some translations say, with all your heart, passionately, as something done for the Lord and not for men knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Wherever you serve, wherever God has placed you, you serve the Lord Christ. Gratitude leads to a passion for life, where you love what you do because you love who you're doing it for. Carl Rowan was the first, one of the first black men to serve as a commissioned officer in the United States Navy. Received many prizes later for journalism. Was involved in American politics and the civil rights movement in some way under different presidents from uh, both parties back in the middle part of the previous century. He was Right, he wrote a book, Breaking Barriers, because he had to overcome a lot of racial barriers to say and do a lot of things that he did. Carl Rowan was giving a speech, and he included this in his book. Some 30 years earlier, he referred to a teacher by the name of Miss Thompson, I believe. And he said that a lot of things that he had done were motivated when he was a child in Miss Thompson's classroom. He said, Miss Thompson was quoting a, an architect from Chicago who had said, plan big. And, and when she said, plan big, she quoted this architect as saying, when you plan big and attempt great things, you inspire so many other people. And he never forgot those words. And he says, okay, I'm going to plan big. I'm going to do big things. And he overcame a lot of barriers through the inspirational comments. And so he wrote about that in his book 30 years later, not even knowing that Miss Thompson was still alive, and she was. And he got a letter from her after she read his book. And she said, for 30 years, my brother has told me I wasted my life, that I wasted my life, that I spent all this time with kids that wouldn't amount to nothing and that everything that I taught didn't mean anything. She said, when you expressed your gratitude for me, I was able to go to him and say, see, <laughs> see, I told you I, I did make a difference in somebody's life. I did make a difference in somebody's life. He did what he did with passion as somebody else fulfilled their role with enthusiasm. 
and it makes a difference in the world in which we live. When we're grateful for what Jesus Christ has done for us, done in us, provided for us, and wants to do through us, out of gratitude we begin to serve with enthusiasm. We never know whose life we're going to impact and we'll always change the world and leave it a better place than where we found it. Certainly a better place than it would be without us living for His glory, for the glory of God. Who are you thankful for? What are you thankful for this day? Has that attitude been a part of your life? Do you lose your joy over trivial things or does an attitude of thanksgiving cause you to extend grace, to express praise and worship in your witness? Does it cause you to serve in your home, your church, your community, your workplace, your school? Does it cause you to do what you do with passion and enthusiasm because you're doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ who gave you everything? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we, we pause again to say thanks. Lord, forgive us when we are so ungrateful. I pray that this Thanksgiving, whether we're gathered around a table, standing in an office or a factory or a school or a medical facility, wherever we work or wherever we play, that you will give us an opportunity to demonstrate your grace in this world. That you would give us the opportunity to overflow with our witness and our worship and to do what you've called us to do with great enthusiasm. Each section of this passage, Lord, and each each place in this scripture, we're reminded to give thanks in the midst of all of this. So, Lord, while we say thank you, we pray, let it be more than words. Let us demonstrate it with our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.